I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world. Bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors. Covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. And friends, welcome in. This is episode 8 of our spring series for 2022 as we come into the final calendar weekend of April. Solar summer is in our sights. It'll start during that first full week of May. Certainly with that, the anticipation for longer hours of sunlight and warmer temperatures is real, especially after this recent spate of awful April weather, including snow on the ground for many in the northern tier of the country. While wintry weather caught some of you by surprise, those that have been listening to this podcast knew that was going to happen, thanks to our long-range forecasting team. Now the question is, how much more substandard spring weather will we have before things consistently warm up? In our first race of focus segment this week, we'll visit with our chief long-range forecaster, Paul Pasolak, and get the scoop on what to expect in the next several weeks, who's in the clear, and who should be cautious in anticipating more wintry setbacks and more severe flare-ups. And that's coming up in our first race of focus segment. As we head towards May and Mother's Day, people are flocking to garden centers and local greenhouses to buy plants for themselves or others thought it would be a good time to check in with Master Gardener from Penn State Extension. Lois Miklas will be with us and she'll get us some great tips on what to look for when you head into the garden center. I know it can be intimidating. Great tips to protect all your investments as we go through this vernal season. Friends, sit back, relax, and get ready. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Friends, welcome back into Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com here as we go on for another week in through spring and getting a little exciting because we're in the last couple of weeks of solar spring. You can really feel it, too. That sun's coming up faster and higher and quicker, and it's starting to get nicer and spring and birds and flowers and then we get snow in the northeast in the great lakes in april but you know what if you've been listening to accuweather and accuweather.com and this podcast our friends in the long range team were all over this as we welcome in chief long range forecaster paul Paslock. you know i i know we've been talking about this for several weeks that we were going to get a another wintry shot in in the month of april and uh basically because of my gardening love, which we'll talk about a little bit here at the end of the podcast as we get ready for really the prime time for gardening season. But Paul, it uh, you guys nailed this, that there was going to be another uh, wintry situation. We were worried about uh, a nor'easter type of storm this pouring uh, time of the year. Let's go back a little bit and talk about this past week where we saw wintry stuff almost a foot or more of snow in some of the higher elevations upstate New York and here in our headquartered area here in State College area, Pennsylvania, 
two, three inches on the grassy surfaces and areas and just a lot of kind of misery for folks who are ready for spring and a warm up. So we knew this was coming. Um, I guess my first question is, are we done? Because as I look at not necessarily the long, long range models, but some of the shorter term stuff that gets us up within a week or so, I'm a little concerned that we may get another shot of pretty unseasonably chilly air before things start to even out here in the Northeast in the Great Lakes. So first of all, kudos to you and your team. And second of all, give us some hope or give us some reality here as we trudge through this uh, spring weather. Thanks, Dean. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, before we get into the forecast, let's let's uh, let's go back here a little bit. If you were able to see our spring forecast that we actually put together uh, back in January and released it at the uh, start of February, we talked about in the highlight page there's like a graphic and try to sum up the three months which is very difficult to do yes. in like three words or less but especially in spring when everything keeps flipping <laughs> back and forth it seems right but, right we we talked about setbacks and people kept asking what what do you mean by setbacks you know in, in april for the northeast and the reason is is that we knew there was going to be some ups and downs we saw some warm weather in march um, in parts of the east, and then it was kind of back and forth, even in March, a little more than we expected. But March didn't have its warm ups. Um, and then all of a sudden, boom, we're back down in April, and we're talking about a snowstorm in the middle of the, of the month. And the, the one thing about this system um, that we were talking about for weeks prior is that we weren't quite sure of the timing when it comes in, because you know, this time of the year. Most times when it snows during the middle of the day, it has a hard time sticking on roads and, and it's not exactly. a big issue. It's just right. on the grassy surfaces and some yeah. surfaces doesn't stick at all. Right. Our, our, our founder, CEO, Joe Myers, is a fond of talking about March sun and its intensity as we're getting, you know, past uh, the uh, the uh, equinox there. But then April sun's even more uh intense through the clouds, mm -hmm. higher sun angle. What I was talking about there at the upfront that, you know, you, that sun's up higher and quicker yep. and faster. And you're right. So, I mean, I had two or three inches on my grassy surfaces, but my driveway stayed just wet the whole time, even with it coming down at a pretty good clip. But for some areas, and I'm actually, the contrast happened around here where I live a little bit higher elevation, but right. even the lower spots, we had several car accidents during the middle of the afternoon around here. Now, some of it could be related because of slush. Slush is slick and you can slide off the road if you don't slow down. So I don't know the cause of those accidents, but several fire whistles going off in the middle of the afternoon right. in this snowstorm. It came down so intensely hard in some spots that it, it just stuck right away and people were traveling. So it was an odd storm in that respect that, you know, we got hit in some places during the day. Now, farther north and east, it waited till later in the day and at night. Yeah. And they were able to get some places over a foot of snow from an April snowstorm. And uh, that was very, very impressive. Ton of uh, all the tracks similar, similar to 2012, just a little bit farther south and east of 2012 snowstorm. And that was one of our top analogs that we were watching for this month of April. Yeah, the, the storm wasn't. And we had this this talk in the in the weather office and in the in forecasting operations it wasn't necessarily a true, true nor'easter because that first area of low pressure that was coming into the Great Lakes, which actually snookered Detroit, got the first mm -hmm. run of it here that first evening. And then 
the transfer of energy didn't seem quite complete to the coastal storm for enough to wrap up. And and then also the track. I mean, that thing went right over basically New York City and right up over Boston. I was watching that uh, the other morning and then up into Atlantic Canada. So it was a little a little bit more inside of where we see a typical nor'easter. So, you know, in, in New England, it actually was more of a what they call a southeaster one. You yeah, know, that, that strong wind out of the. The southeast. So, yeah, incredible storm, tons of power outages. North folks, I, I have a couple of friends in northeast Pennsylvania that are still having some issues with power outages. Kind of reminded me of the remember that fall storm we had here in, in State College in November. Now, yes. you know, then it was because the trees were on the leaves. You know, there's not nothing on the on the trees, but uh, in terms of leaves or anything. But the yeah, that weight of that snow. But I guess that goes back now. Do we have to worry going forward? Are we going to have more setbacks in the Great Lakes in the Northeast here as we go through the second half of April and first part of May? Well, I don't think we're going to have that kind of a storm uh, the rest of the season, but I think it's going to be kind of a different way that we could get some snow. There's still a lot of chill on the forecast maps going forward. The first week of May right now looks very chilly for the eastern half of the nation compared to normal. Uh, even cool air getting all the way down into the deep south. So um, I do think that there's some type of upper level low. You know, this time of the year, we, we, we in the past, we've dealt with upper level lows in the spring. And they kind of just sit there and they manufacture their own cold air. And there's a good shot that as we get towards the end of April, uh, we could see one of those upper level lows develop. And underneath it, if you're in the right spot, you could have some snow mixed with rain and higher elevations could get the typical what you see in late April, some snow laying on the ground when the lower elevations get hardly anything. I think that's the kind of setup we see going forward, Dean. Uh, but there's still the thing as the setbacks also includes temperatures. And yeah. I mean, I see a lot of chill still coming at least at the end of April into the start of May right now. So um, we're going to be talking uh a little bit of gardening here at the end of the podcast with uh, some friends from Penn State Extension. You know, as everybody's heading out, this is prime time for people to go out into the world of the garden centers and, uh, you know, uh, Mother's Day coming up. Everybody's going to be pieing uh, potted plants and, and flowers mm -hmm. and stuff. I want to get a little kind of a primer on how you know what to pick and that kind of stuff. So, I think one of the mistakes that I know I have tended to make in my early gardening before I learned is you places like here where I live, you don't really want to stick much in the ground safely before maybe even Memorial Day. I mean, if, if it's not a perennial that's not used to it, this is uh, still going to be problematic here. It looks like uh, for a lot of folks, Great Lakes Northeast to uh, confidently put annuals and stuff in without getting maybe some problems here early in the season. I mean, stick to your pattern. If you've been here for a while, you know that you can put uh, – slightly sensitive plants in maybe a week before Memorial Day in, but very sensitive plants, you know, you have to wait to the Memorial Day weekend or later. It just, it's just one of those things for our area. It's different for all other areas too, but. Well, sure. Right. Deep but, South, but they don't care, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're already, they're past where we were. Uh, among, it's crazy how when you travel just 150, 200 miles to the South and it's a whole nother world and they're like a month, <laughs> a month ahead of you. Right. So. Uh, the, yeah. The only advice I give is that we are expecting even some cooler than normal shots to take place 
for this time, you know, for May standards, for June standards coming up all the way through then. Uh, it's not going to be all the time. There's going to be warmups like this weekend. Uh, you know, we have 80s in the forecast and a lot of places that have that saw snow six, yeah. seven, six days ago. So weather, weather whiplash this week. Yeah, exactly. Places, so right? but keep in mind that if you want to think where I'm living in the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, Great Lakes, Ohio Valley, just think, well, if I was planting this on a normal time scale with normal weather, I would plant it here. But let's 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 wait a couple more days or another week before I do that because of the fact that the pattern is set up for those this this part of the region to still get some more you know cool downs into the month of May at least. That's a little bit too much uh, to start planting a little early. So I, I think that you got to keep that in mind going forward. Now, while folks in the Great Lakes in the uh, east were dealing with uh, unseasonably cold weather and snow, the warmth had uh, kind of camped out uh, in the west. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing a little flip again this weekend where some really chilly air goes into the west and the Rockies. In fact, we've got snow in the forecast uh, throughout uh, the Intermountain West there. Um, another digging front and another uh, round of severe weather. Uh, in the middle of the country as we go into this up, up, upcoming weekend. And, and as you just mentioned a minute ago, weather whiplash, places that were cold and wet and in some places snowy. I think Pittsburgh would be a, a prime example of that. Rain yeah. and snow a couple of days ago, and they're going to be well up into the 70s, pushing towards 80 here as we go through the weekend. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about the West because the concerns there continue because even I see this cooler air the one word I see as we head into this upcoming weekend is dry, and that has been an amazing problem, and it continues to be so, and looks like it's going to get uh, even exacerbated worse here as we go through the next several weeks. Yeah, when you look at the West at, at this time of the, uh, right now, uh, comparison-wise, I haven't seen as much drought uh, like this on the map since 2013. Uh, there was a four-year drought around that time. Uh, 2013 was pretty bad at this time of the year. And uh, almost 90% of the West is under some level of drought at the present time. And the one thing that stuck out to me here over the last several weeks is the amount of wind generated by these storms cutting through the Rockies into the Plain States and has initiated these fires that we've seen around Flagstaff and, and other places into the Plain States. The question is, is is that going to change? And, and, and just talking over with one of my team members, we do feel that the wind could settle down a little bit in the southwest as we get into the late April and May, which means that the wildfire spread quickness of the spread may ease back a little bit. Some positive there. But the unfortunate thing is, is if the jet's retreating, the storm track's retreating, and the wind's going away, it's still dry, Dean. It's still dry. Right, and you still have the fuel. You're right. You just don't have yeah. the accelerant, which is the wind in that situation. Right. And so that goes on. And that goes on all the way into June. And it looks pretty dry and hot in the southwest all the way into the early part of the summer season. Interesting. I'm heading out to L.A. here in a couple of weeks. So I'll get to kind mm-hmm. of uh, experience that firsthand. Um Let's let's take us through the rest of the spring now. So still a lot of variability, Northeast Great Lakes, uh, setbacks, uh, and maybe another one of these vertically stacked lows, which are Yeah. <laughs> they're just they're just awful. They're awful to forecast for because 
it's hard sometimes when you get that uh, because a lot of it's depending on where those little spokes of energy are as that thing switches around. So, you know, I can, you yeah. know, I've had the, the last time we had one a couple of weeks ago, you know, half the day's great. And you're thinking, oh, it's beautiful. And then, and then like two, three hours later, you have snow squalls or snow showers, right? <laughs> so, you know, the, your weather isn't, you know, daily. It's it's incrementally by the hour, whether it's, uh, you know, wait, that old saying, if you don't like the weather, wait a minute. But uh, yeah, th- so that's ahead. Get us through the rest of spring and into the early part of oh. summer. I know you guys are working hard on the summer forecast, and I don't want we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in depth when we get into a few more weeks from now. But, you know, as folks uh, really trying to awaken out of COVID and uh, restrictions over the last couple of years and real, um, ease and travel restrictions and things, I mean, I, I really feel just being out and about with people, there's that sense of wanting to go get out, do things. Um, talk us to us about the next several weeks. What uh, let's break okay. it down first in the Northeast and the Great Lakes. What do you think uh, the next several weeks will entail there? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that uh, you know we will go through another cooler stretch of weather uh, for the end of April into the first week of May. But keep in mind, I think the East Coast, east of the Appalachians, into week two, everything kind of shifts a little farther west to coolest air. So maybe more like. Chicago and Detroit and uh, Indianapolis and those places that stay uh, below normal on temperatures, but the East Coast may actually warm up a little bit in week two of May. So like you said, these kind of changes and flips on a day-to-day basis, we may see it on a weekly basis there going into May. Severe weather though, you know, it's going to ease back just a little bit for a time, um, but then this, this contrast will set up uh, between what's happening in the Northeast and what's happening in the Southwest. And we could get still uh, a little busy in between somewhere in the lower Ohio Valley and Tennessee Valley still at risk for some severe weather going into early May. Let's go back farther West then and and talk about the, the plains. And then as we go out to the West, the Rockies and the, and the West, what, uh, what about them for the next few several weeks? Well, I, you know, it's one of those things where we just talked about, you know, the, the wind has been a big factor. The storm's cutting so far south over the last several weeks. I think that kind of changes. I think we see more of the storms lifting up a little bit farther north. Pacific Northwest still looks like they can have some action as far as some rain and snow goes, higher elevations, snow. Um, the southwest stays dry, stays hot uh, at times, uh, gets hot at times, and the uh, drought is extreme and continues to spread. In fact, would not be surprised that we see a beef up in the drought situation after seeing some storms come through in the central high plains area and, the, and, the, and, and even spreading northward. So look for conditions to dry out a little bit more in those areas as we go forward. Real quick here, uh, limited time left. Um, obviously, inflation and prices, supply mm-hmm. chain, all that a real big concern right now. From your standpoint as a long range forecaster, what do you tell people? Uh, in terms of how the weather is going to affect their prices of food and things. I mean, I think we have a big concern about the ability to plant or, and get yields again in some of these places that are so drought-stricken. Uh, uh, it's going to be a tough growing season for a lot of crops, and that's especially with uh, what's going on in the world over in uh, Russia, who uh, is a, a huge supplier of wheat and grain to the to the world or has been uh there's some concerns about that right in this in this country going forward here in the next few weeks yeah and and a couple things on that is that you know prices are already high and 
weather, yes, can have a bigger impact this year than other years because of that reasoning. Supplies are down because globally wise, we're, we're struggling to find those crops anywhere we can. And so we need to watch the dryness on wheat, which is already having some effect on the winter wheat crop. The spring wheat crop, uh, you know, will continue to watch if it dries out, it could be a problem. Also, they may have a hard time trying to get it going, depending on soil temperatures up in the north, which is planted in the Dakotas and Montana. Corn may be delayed by a week because of either wetness or soil temperatures, but I don't think that's going to be a major factor. If they get a stretch of dry weather, they'll they'll get it in quick. Those guys are amazing as far as uh, getting getting things planted and getting yeah. things going. Technology has helped over the decades oh, to yeah. get that better, right? So I think that there could be dent again, a little more rise in the prices that you're seeing right now. Um, and our team continues to look at it very, very carefully because this is a critical year uh, based on what's been happening already. Absolutely. Um, just give me three bullet points about uh, looking at summer that you're thinking about now as we get ready to uh, get that summer forecast together. Uh, does the monsoon come back and help out the Southwest again, like it did last year, third wettest monsoon on season uh, in the season last year. Do think it's above normal this year. It does start on time. So they will get some relief in the Southwest. Heat expands over the plains. It's how far does it go? Does this get to the Midwest and maybe cause some stress on the corn crop middle, middle part of the summer? But we do feel that the middle of the plains uh, is hot and uh, drought is expansive uh, during the summer season. The east again, some back and forth. Uh, June and Even July, June and July, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm expecting. It almost feels like we're going to have a lot of severe weather events, which we've mm-hmm. been seeing more of in that time of year, June and July. Let's uh, remember what happened last July. Yep. Last July, a lot of tornadoes on the ground in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Could we have more of that come? It could. It could happen in June. Yeah. So, when does the okay. official uh, summer forecast come out from your folks? Uh, I believe it's at the, the very start of May, uh, somewhere around May 2nd, I believe. So, okay. right as we get ready to, for the start of solar spring, which is on May 5th. I know I'm counting down. It's my favorite. <laughs> I like the sun. I like. I'm just worried about my pool, man. I got to get this <laughs> pool warmed up before my family comes in uh, late June. I hope it's warm enough for them. I my mom so is too. very picky about the water temperature. Oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> so is Joel, my partner, and he grew up in Puerto Rico. And anything below 80, he does not get in. It's the same with my mom. <laughs> Paul, so much great work by you and your long range team. Thanks for kind of getting us clued in on how things have been, where we're going here as we go in the late spring and some thoughts about the uh, summer. And, you know, I think if you're in the East, you'll enjoy this warm up this weekend after being so substandard here over the last couple of days and, and the week or so. So, Paul, thanks so much for your hard work. Appreciate it. You're welcome. You can check out Paul Pastelock on his Twitter feed. That's his full name is his Twitter handle, Paul, P-A-U-L. Pastelock, P-A-S-T-E-L-O-K, all one word. And he's got uh, great information there. And you can also find a link to his podcast with Joe Lundberg. It's called Going Long with Joe and Paul. And you can listen to that on a weekly basis as well. Friends, coming up next on Everything Under the Sun, we'll head to the gardening center with a master gardener. She'll give us some great tips on what to look for, what maybe to kind of avoid, and some things to think about as you... Maybe want to rush things into the ground a little bit this time of year. We've all done it, right? Those of us that garden. We'll talk with Lois Miklas coming up 
when we come back to everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Plan your day with confidence and find out what the weather means for you. Join AccuWeather meteorologist Bernie Reno Monday through Friday for Weather Insider. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back into Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com, episode 8 of our spring series. And we've been spending a, a good amount of time this spring on gardening, and I want to get back to it because of where we are in the calendar. I've been out and about, and you know, I've been dealing here in Pennsylvania with some pretty rotten April weather, including we had about two or three inches of snow on the ground just the other day. Now, luckily, it was all gone by the next afternoon because of the April sun effect, but I know a lot of us are really chomping at the bit to get out there and do things, and this is an exciting time of the year as we get just came off of Easter, heading towards Mother's Day. A lot of people out and about at local greenhouses and local garden centers, either getting plants for other people or themselves. I think there's some mistakes that some of us made. I know I've made them in my gardening career over the years and trying to rush things. And are we amending the soil correctly at this time of the year? Should we be doing things? So I thought I'd bring in a master gardener from Penn State Extension. For those of you who know, all our great major institutions, land-grant institutions in this country, have tremendous agricultural extensions or abilities for the university to extend the knowledge from them to the folks that they serve here in Pennsylvania and our Commonwealth. But that information can be used by everybody. And so we're going to be joined by Lois Miklas. She is the Area Master Gardener Coordinator for the Master Gardener Program at Penn State Extension. There are several across the state. Her area is centered down around Lancaster County in southeast Pennsylvania. But what we're going to talk about today translates to everybody. So some great tips as you get out and about and get ready for the gardening mood from Lois Miklas here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Lois, welcome in. It's it's great to have you. Um, we've been kibitzing behind the scenes here as we've been getting ready. And Lois and I share a thing. With, uh, we, I grew up in Lancaster, and that's where Lois lives in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So as I mentioned in the setup, uh, Penn State Extension, I mean, I go back as a young man, even before I got to Penn State, and then I become a lifelong Penn Stater, creates and provides so much information that uh, people can use in all facets of agriculture. And that, of course, goes back in history to really the purpose of the land-grant institutions, which was to make uh, agriculture and engineering a better situation for the country coming out of the Civil War. So it's, it's really great, Lois, to have you um, and, and to talk about some things that I think are really cool right now. I know I'm super excited, especially just coming off this really cruddy weather with the snow that we had up here in central Pennsylvania. And I know this is a national show and I'm not trying to create your sympathy, but we've had a lot of places in the country the last uh, week or so that have had some really substandard April weather. And so first thing I wanted to talk about with you is this idea of, I think, and I find myself doing it as well, rushing stuff into the ground this time of year, because we get to these garden centers, we go and we see all these beautiful things in the pots that are already blooming. And we think, oh, we should have that right now. And in most areas, that's way too soon, right? Is that, is that a common yeah, thing that goes yeah. on? Well, Dean, I, I want to commend you on knowing your history about uh, land-grant colleges and that 
just before we launch into that, that's what the, I'm part of the Master Gardener program, and we provide um, education for uh, home gardeners, residential gardeners, and that's right. you know that's part of what the land grant colleges do is spreading that education beyond just the students, uh, the traditional college students. So at the at the garden center. Uh, yes, that of course, a garden center is going to want to sell you things that are blooming. And of course, unless they're just a foliage plant, but, but so you'll see lots of things that are in, in bloom at the garden center. I would say kind of take a tip for where, from where they are at the garden center, because if they're in their greenhouse, they're very likely it's, they're not going to do well yet in, um, areas where we're still subjected to frost and we, right. you know, with cold your nighttime natural, temperatures. Your natural weather conditions that are actually occurring at your place, they've been kind of making the plant think it's two, three zones to the south of where you are, right? Into the warmer clime. Uh, so yeah, they they're have a false sense of security. And so if you try to take those plants that are uh, ahead of the scheme, where you are and try to put them in where you are weather-wise, that's that's a no-no and not very good for the plant. Right. And then there's annuals and perennials. So, you know, when I first started gardening as a, you know, a young adult, I saw a perennial blooming and I thought it was going to bloom all year. And that that's that's kind of not what perennials do. They have their season that they they go through where they bloom and then they, you know, they're done for the rest of the year. Now, some of them are going to bloom, you know, much later in this season. So usually a perennial, you can get by with planting those if we're still going to have chilly nighttime temperatures or even a frost, but the annuals are the things that are real. They're going to bloom their heads off all summer. And right now pansies and alyssum are fine to plant because they can. Right. They, they can actually love it. this, right? They yeah, love this chill but, stuff. Yeah, I have right, some, uh, some natural still, pansies that naturalize themselves from stuff that I bought and they're already cooking down. Oh, really? Oh, that, spots, that's yeah. cool that they did. I, I saw geraniums out on somebody's porch um, last weekend in, here in Lancaster County. And it's there. That's not they're not going to do well. We had I think we had frost this week. So, but fortunately they were in a container. I'm sure whoever planted them could pull them in or, you know, put them, snuggle them up to the house and they probably would be okay. But, but your typical summer annuals, marigolds, geraniums, uh, zinnias, uh, the, you know, those things like warmth and they're, you don't want to try to plant those too early. There's just no no point. You'll regret it. You may end up having to like repurchase right. all, all your plants. Right. So, so really, I mean, pay attention. And I think sometimes the confusion too low is comes in because there's uh, you know, when you look at the, the zones and the way on seed packets, it tells you and gives you guidance about when you're supposed to sow the seeds. That's right, a much right. different situation than when a potted plant that's thriving, you want to put in the ground and and start uh, continue its thriving. And then I think the other thing too is people get a false sense of security that you're right. If they don't know the season of what that uh, certain plant is in terms of its bloom, um, it looked really pretty at the at the, the greenhouse or the garden center. They get it in the ground, and a week later, it's done and it's now out of season. So. You're not going to get that kind of uh, situation until next year around the same time or a little earlier. So just 
start to learn more about and read. I mean, I, there's so much information either on the seed packet that you need to know or the plant uh, designated the, the label. I mean, it has so much right. information. I don't think people really look at that enough, right? Probably not. And, the, you know, the nice thing now is you can just go. I don't I'm not sure if garden centers are using QR codes too much, but you can just look the plan up quickly if you have a, a, a smartphone, which many, many people do. Um, and, you know, find out more about it. The other thing, too, is to check the botanical name. If you're going to look it up, I would advise that because there are, are common names that can be very confusing. Like, like there's all sorts of different um at different species that are called a daisy, for example. So you right. you really want to make sure you you know what what plant it is that you're considering um, purchasing or making a part of your landscape. So um, you know another thing I wanted to talk about was um, <laughs> my partner and I, Joel, have this constant kind of fun battle because he's the kind of gardener that feels like I buy it, I put it in, or it's the seed and I plant it and I should not touch it. It's just supposed to go on its own. And I tend to be the one that gets in there and, you know, I'll even, uh, after using, and I use, uh, many of the mail order, the delivery services like Brex or all of those mm -hmm. others to get, uh, you know, roots and, and bare roots and stuff like that. You know, and sometimes you need to check that stuff because if you think, well, it's it doesn't look like, you know, to dig it out and to look at it and to kind of reset it in certain situations. Now, certain plants don't do well doing that, but others do. I mean, to me, I think you have to start to learn a comfort level in how to interact with your plant, how to how to make sure that you're giving it the best opportunities to grow and fertilization and all that kind of stuff and, and timing. And again, this is information that's readily available, but it's also available if you just ask people and, and, and folks that are in the know like you. Yeah, right. Well, I, unfortunately, there or maybe fortunately, there aren't many plants that you're going to put into your into your landscape or in a container that can just be left alone. They you they really do need. It's not natural. It's not like you know you're you're living in the woods for most of us. So you you do need to check them and tend them. Checking them a lot's a good way to like catch a pest or disease before it becomes a problem. If you're starting a a shrub or a tree or even a perennial, you need to. Um, you know, really make sure that it's it's watered, irrigated at the beginning, even though you may not need to do that once it gets established. So, yeah, it, it, you do want to you want to touch them. You want to stick your finger down into the soil and, you know, see if they really need water and the well uh, and other things. But are, are dividing as the years go by. Right. Dividing dividing is a big thing. And I think people and then I think people another thing. Do you see overcrowding a lot where they buy too many and plant them too close and then they kind of start choking each other off and some of the especially in some of the annuals, I think? Yeah, that that can happen. Although um, if you're starting a perennial garden, and one of the things that, you know, we as master gardeners, we want people to have nice, beautiful gardens, but we we basically really want to um, do what's right for the environment. So with perennials, we're kind of advocating planting them fairly close together as you, you can go in and divide them then as time goes by. But sort of that concept of one little plant surrounded by, you know, a lot of square footage of mulch is something that 
you know, that's not necessarily the ideal. It's better, it's better to have more plants. And then if you have to divide them later, so be it. But it's it's really better for the for the environment, for the insects or birds that might utilize that plant if you if you've got more of it and not a whole ton of mulch. They 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 tend to protect themselves then too from the wind. Um and I've learned that and I've got now a peony section which you know, especially um, it's in a, spe- se- if, if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't put them there in the, my little section. Cause it gets a lot of wind, but I'm sitting on a hill. So I get wind anyway, oh, and, you yeah. know, right. So, <laughs> but I, but I've, I've learned to, to, to kind of use each other to protect themselves and, and, and use some supports and stuff like that. Uh, we're talking with uh, Lois Miklas. She is a master gardener from Penn State Extension, lives in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We're we're trying to talk in generalities here, though, to speak to you, the gardener out there. You know, it's fun to me, Lois, and, and we're running out of time here. But a couple of things. One is I think to me, it's gardening can be when I was a kid, you know, some people in Lancaster where I grew up had big garden plots. They and almost like show pieces of their house, which you know, don't think you see that much anymore. But I revel now when I go to New York City as often as I do and stay in some of those hotels where I can look down and see uh, all the rooftop gardens in New York City and an amazing amount of real estate on the roofs in these big cities. People are doing their own gardens. So gardening has taken on such a huge thing and it's importance in our lives now, especially with the pandemic the last few years. And even more so this year with inflation, gardening is going to be even bigger, I think, in terms of uh, fruits and vegetables and and food situation to help people cut costs. So, you know, one thing that you mentioned to me uh, before we started the interview that you thought is important is soil testing. So that if you are trying to get yield, if you are investing, we're spending a lot of money on the gardening, right? If we're trying to get some results, know what you've got in the ground before you start really planning. So you're not frustrated, right? Talk to me about the importance of soil testing. Right. So, you know, a lot of times you might see a recommendation to fertilize, but um, we really believe that you should know what your needs are for, for fertilizing the plant. And then it's not plant food. The plant will make its own food if it has the right um, nutrients in the soil. So this is not the ideal time of year, but there's probably never a really wrong time to to test the soil, know what you need to do. Um, Actually, fall's a good time to add the soil amendments that you need. But Penn State has a soil testing lab. Um, They they turn samples. You take the sample and mail it in at, at most. You can either print the paperwork off online or you can get the paperwork at an extension office. There, it's $9 for each area you, you, you want to test. You let them know what you're trying to grow because that makes a huge difference. Not every plant needs the same balance in the soil. Right. So, so what are you looking there? You're looking at pH levels, yes. acid or basic. That's Yeah, that's really important. And then yeah. some other, what other minerals may be deficient or in excess that, you know, certain things can hinder or help right in both sides so you, you're you're seeing all those levels and getting a profile of what hey if you want to grow this these are the amendments that you need to make to the soil in that area 
Right. And then the good thing about the, the soil test is that it will show you, you know, the, the figures of what was in your soil, but then it tells you what you need to do, what you need to add in pounds per square foot. And then you can go to the, to a garden center and purchase the, you know, the combination that you need. And, and that's one good thing. The master gardener, master gardeners have garden hotlines in all of our counties. And if you need any, like, I'm not sure I quite understand this. What, what exactly should I buy? We can help you with that. So you can call or email uh, a master gardener garden hotline in Pennsylvania. And I'm sure, I'm sure all the state extensions offer a similar service. Right. That's what I wanted to say. I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of biased to the Penn state experience, but I know Ohio state has an amazing extension. All of the big, land-grant institutions, and you can look that up in Google and say, you know, and just look up um, university extension. (laughs) I think the reason it's called extension is because it's the idea of the university extending its knowledge to the people of, Mm -hmm. in our case, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, the, the, The Penn State testing, is that only for Pennsylvania residents, or can anybody in the country use that? Boy, I think you might have stumped me there, but I think they I think they would do it. I know that the Penn State has an um, insect lab as well. And I know I've heard the um, the educator who runs that insect lab say that he often gets requests from out of state and he kind of prioritizes Pennsylvania, but he'll answer those requests, too. So I think they would um, take a sample from. Uh, you know, wherever it comes in. Right. As long as and, I, and, and I'm sure in this day and age too, Lois, there's probably private, uh, I'm sure you can get your soil tested, you know, through a private company, but we're just not have knowledge right. of, of the Penn state extension. Well, right. I do know that some of the green industry who do lawn services, I believe they, that's they what test, they use yeah. is the Penn state um, soil testing lab. Lois, we covered a lot of ground and I could spend another hour with you, um, but uh, maybe we'll do that in the future. It has been great, but I think uh, some real important stuff for people to take into consideration here as we get into hyperdrive with people wanting to get out, the garden centers, Mother's Day coming up. Everybody's got that focus, whether it's your backyard, porch, deck garden, or you got a big couple of acre plot, um, all kinds of good information. We'll put links in our in our notes section about uh, some of the ways you can get to the Penn state extension uh, information. Lois, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us here on everything under the sun. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks. I enjoyed it too. Wow. What great information from Lois and she has gone ahead and provided some links, which are in the notes section of our podcast, wherever you pick up that podcast, they have uh, links to uh, the soil testing that she was talking about and also um, some things about how you can prepare your garden for summer And one concept that we didn't get to that Lois wanted to uh, make sure that people understand as you transplant things or the things that you get at the garden center or the greenhouse, things that are acclimated being inside in warmer temperatures, you need to what's called harden them or get them ready to be outside in the new climate. And there's a way to do that. And she's got a link about that. Again, that's in our notes section. Thanks again to Lois Miklas and all of the folks at Penn State Extension we'll be tapping into their resources. And friends, I encourage you to look at your public institutions of higher education around your area, and especially the major land-grant institutions, for all this great information that they provide to your area 
uh, it's certainly a great surface that I think is underused and underutilized. So that's a look at that. Um, friends, just a quick look at the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond, since we did a lot of weather talking with Paul Pasolak in the upfront segment. As we talked about this weekend is kind of Jekyll and Hyde in the two parts of the country. We've got a lot of warmth in the eastern seaboard. We've got a big storm that's brewing out of the Rockies and going up into the upper plains and into the Great Lakes, and that will be dragging a cold front with some strong to severe storms as we go through the weekend. And, of course, that new storm that's going to be heading on to the Pacific Northwest Coast. And then we kind of get another little push of chillier air as we get to the middle of next week in the Northeast. Warmth builds in the West, so we'll be going topsy-turvy. Again, you can get the latest forecast for your locale on your AccuWeather app, whether it's on Apple or on Android or the Google Play Store or whatever you're getting your apps and wherever you're using them, whatever format, the AccuWeather app winning awards and, and putting in the things that you need to weatherproof your life, like the four hours of the minute cast that uh, shows you when it's raining and how heavy it's going to rain in the next four hours. Great stuff on our AccuWeather apps, AccuWeather.com and our AccuWeather network, our great network partners. That's where you can get the AccuWeather information that's produced by our hundreds of team members who work so hard every day to weatherproof your life. On behalf of them and myself and my two executive producers, Andrew, Rob, and Ken Prell, thank you for listening to Everything Under the Sun. We'll be back next week, Episode 9, as we get closer to solar summer and summer on the calendar as spring rolls on. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.